0: Hello, and welcome to Be the Serpent, a podcast of extremely deep literary merit, with your classy and sophisticated hosts, Alexandra Rowland, Freya Mask, and Jennifer Mace. On today's episode, we're discussing many and varied fantasy books of our childhood,
1: Welcome to episode 62, Overwhelming Ancestral Nostalgia. I'm Alex and I'm the Christopher
2: Chant one.
0: I'm Freya and I'm the Matilda Wormwood one.
2: I am Macy and I am Artemis Fowl.
0: We are three redheaded fantasy authors.
2: And
1: today we're going on a sort of lovely journey through memory lane and discussing some (laughs) of the beloved books that we loved when we were children. Uh, I look forward to this uh, lovely little discussion, fellow serpents, but before that, what are we reading? I have somehow found myself reading two books Mm.
0: where someone is pining after their bodyguard and the bodyguard is pining (laughs) after them.
1: Why are you coming for my entire life like this, Freya? Freya. Freya. So if you Freya. too,
0: like the serpents and like me, are really into a bodyguard romance, um, I recommend The Spare by Miranda Dubner, which is a royal, modern-day royal soap opera, essentially. It's got a few different storylines and love stories running through it, lots of different point-of-view characters, but the central romance is between a prince of England and his bodyguard, and it's delicious. The second one I am in the middle of, this is Girl Gone Viral by Alicia Rye, one of the contemporary romance authors that I always pick up the books of. And this one is about a woman who goes viral after an incident that she has with someone in a cafe is live tweeted. And she has reasons of her own for wanting to remain anonymous and not wanting to attract attention, so her bodyguard takes her to stay on his family's peach farm in California. Okay. All right. All right. Yeah. Like so far, it's just delightfully chill. Alicia Rye is really good at large interconnected friendship groups and families and people, you know, gently working through their emotional shit and falling in love. So that's been nice. (laughs) And I also have read recently Victoria Lee's YA book, The Fever King, which is, Mm -hmm. again, extremely queer and it's a story where magic is a plague, and if you survive the illness, then you have magical powers. And in a very YA setup, it's about someone who survives it when everyone else in his uh, building has died, and he gets recruited to a government training agency full of other people who've survived, And there's a mysterious charismatic leader and the mysterious charismatic leader's mysterious ward. (laughs) Extremely YA in all dimensions. But I I really liked it. I thought that the world building was fun. It's got a lot of really interesting things to say about um, uh, like the status of refugees and being the children of being a child (laughs) of undocumented immigrants. So that one, yeah, I really enjoyed it. I've just picked up the second book in the duology, The Electric Air, which is now on my list.
2: Very nice. Victoria Lee, I feel like I know that name from somewhere. Figure that out later. But I, in the meantime, have been reading, I put out a call a couple of weeks back because I had a really bad headache and couldn't think for a bit for like gentler stories. And one of my agent siblings, Marissa Lingen, let me read her middle grade manuscript, which was absolutely delightful because it's about these two young girls who end up having to dog sled across a snow serpent infested wilderness to save their parents and the entirety of magic and there is like a magic dog who is a map but also a dog and thus not very good at being a map Um, and just tons of like sami and snow magic and it's delightful Um, and birch dryads which is important because it's me and it's Marissa Mm -hmm. I also read a novel length John Wick fan Mm, fiction which I am still of the impression that John Wick is about vampires, which I think is incorrect. I
0: mean, I think there's nothing in the text to absolutely contradict that assumption. It could be
2: about I think vampires. that I keep like, I have for some reason fixed in my brain that John Wick is all about vampires and that everything I'm reading are gangster AUs of the vampire <laughs> movie John Wick, <laughs> which
0: I don't think is true. Have you actually watched the movie John Wick? <laughs> no. Okay, that explains that. <laughs>
2: Uh, This is like the time where I got really confused by Teen Wolf fandom because I thought that it was Big Wolf on Campus Mm. fandom and none of the characters made sense to me. Anyway, I read this lovely um, marriage of convenience gangster story uh, called Unholy Union in which John Wick used to be fucking his boss. And the boss marries him to save him from being mobster killed. Uh-huh, anyway, it's uh-huh. great. I'm here for it. <laughs> love a trope like yeah, that. Yeah, yep. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's great. And I also finished Shauna Maguire's book Middle Game for when we are discussing that in a couple of weeks. And absolutely was in love with it. It was full of mathematics and twins and psychic bullshit and time travel and like time loops and paradoxes. And it was wonderful. Great.
0: I thought it I thought it might be your kind
2: yeah, of stuff. yes I'm super excited it definitely sounds like it
1: um, I finally got around to reading Scum villain, the novel um,
2: we we're all very impressed by this by the way yes. none
1: of the rest of us are like you've actually read the text I've actually read the text of Scumvillain's self-saving system um, by the same author who wrote uh, Modazushi uh, which The Untamed is based on we're just going through a lot of iterations of stuff <laughs> Um, no, it was really cool. And uh, the translation was really interesting. The uh, website where I was reading the translation has had tons and tons of footnotes that were like explaining the particular idiom that they were attempting to translate. Um, because translating from Chinese to English is a fucking wizard trick. Um <laughs> in some cases. And this
2: one is like full of memes.
1: This right? one is full so of it's memes. even trickier. Yes, yes. It's full of like Ch- like contemporary Chinese memes because one of the characters is a millennial who gets <laughs> <laughs> transport yeeted. who gets yeeted. Thank you Macy. Um as always, thank you for reminding me about the word yeet. Uh, who gets <laughs> yeeted into the fantasy world of this novel that he's hate reading because he really really (laughs) likes the protagonist uh, and like it's full of plot holes and stupid characters and there's this computer system who's like congratulations you're now in the body of the villain you have to change the plot to make the book better than it is and he's like sure yes i will do this thing and along the way uh accidentally turns the protagonist gay and then they fall in love (laughs) um (laughs) And it's very, very genuinely funny. Uh, I also read a nonfiction book called Come As You Are by Emily Nagoski. And I am going to need everybody in the whole world to read this book right away, right now, immediately. Um, It's about female sexual response. And a lot of times these kind of books are kind of like, woo, oh, get, get in touch with your inner goddess and so forth. And this was just really friendly and funny and based in science and it's like hey you don't have to be a sexual goddess you can just be a human you are a human you don't have to be perfect you're normal (laughs) and i found it really like validating and cool and i learned a lot of stuff about like psychology and context and so forth so highly 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 recommend Mm.
0: emily Uh, nagoski is a really good science writer i've been following her mm -hmm. since she was blogging about sex education and sex science yes you know long ago in the day of blogs and she's also written a book (laughs) with her sister called burnout Mm -hmm. which is about Mm. the effects of stress especially on women And again it's a lot of science-based stuff around that so that's an that's another good book of hers
1: literally every time i have mentioned come as you are someone follows that up with oh yes emily Nagoski is brilliant you should read her other book as well um so that's fantastic (laughs) uh and finally all three of us watched a bit of a k-drama well okay i watched all of a k-drama and (laughs) everyone else started watching this k-drama um called the king eternal monarch which is currently airing so not even all of it is out yet uh, and it's about a king who gets yeeted into a king of like a fantasy kingdom who gets yeeted into our world and falls in love with the it's got timeline bullshit. I'm not going to bother explaining it because it's wild. The point is, there's a very attractive bodyguard. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Speaking of bodyguard pining.
1: Speaking of bodyguard pining. Anyway, so that's a heap of cool stuff that we're all into lately mm-hmm. so many
2: books it's almost like we got locked in our house for two months or, or, something. or something
1: yeah and it's almost like we intentionally planned this episode to be really light so that we wouldn't have to do a whole lot of homework
2: <laughs> <laughs> and therefore had time to read other Duh. things Darling listeners, your serpents are being kind to themselves and encourage you to do the same. Yes. Alternatively,
0: your serpents have played themselves and decided to pick up one of their nostalgia books (laughs) (laughs) to (laughs) just flick through and refresh and has now committed to reading all 800 pages of it. How many
2: have you read now? Um, I have read
0: the first three of the five Uh books in that one Uh volume, and I am halfway through the fourth.
1: Nice. Yeah. Nice. Good
0: job. Oh, it's been wonderful. I've had a fantastic time this weekend.
1: So, (laughs) Freya, since you were starting about uh, the book that you're reading, do you want to just tell us what book it is and start off the episode properly?
0: I can. Let's start. So, very briefly, what we decided to do for this one, to keep things light and not have to do too much homework, in inverted commas, (laughs) uh, (laughs) was to talk specifically about the fantasy books that we read in childhood that maybe not not necessarily the first ones or our favourites but ones that we still think about and are really mm-hmm. intertwined with how we got into fantasy as mm. readers and writers. Yes. yes. Uh, Alex, would you like to explain briefly why this is called overwhelming ancestral nostalgia?
1: <laughs> yes. So this is a reference to a video game that I really loved about eight years ago called Glitch. Uh, which was an MMO that had this really sweet cartoony little aesthetic and this really kind and warm community aspect to it. And it was just like this fun sandbox game. Like you had this little cartoon avatar and you would run around in the world harvesting gas from gas plants and eggs from eggplants and uh, squeezing chickens to get grain and milking butterflies to get butter, (laughs) obviously uh and there was a certain area of the world where you could run around in which was kind of time locked you could only spend about half an hour there um because that was the ancestral homeland of uh the little cartoon characters so you would run around there and do like archaeology and then after 30 minutes you would get kicked out uh and you would have this debuff called overwhelmed by ancestral nostalgia (laughs)
2: Oh fun God, that's shit. So cute. It was
1: it was the cutest thing. If you use Slack at all, it was made by the same people who made Slack. And indeed, they what? made Slack in the offices so that they would have a platform to discuss how they were programming this game. Like Slack came about because of this game. All of those notification sounds that you know from Slack were sounds from the game. Uh. There's several emoji in Slack, which are images from the game.
2: Why does every fucking technology company need to develop a messaging <laughs> platform? Like, It's <sighs> part, it's part of the
0: natural life cycle of the tech companies. You no, know, it's like, like adolescence.
2: Yeah. You may have noticed that there is now in your Gmail a button saying start meeting. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes, there is a now you can like start a meeting from Gchat. Oh, because they're trying to get some of the... the
0: good, good Zoom money.
2: The Zoom money. <laughs> the good Zoom <laughs> yeah, money. Yeah, because, I mean, they're not charging for it. I have no idea. Anyway, Macy is no longer commenting on this line of Correct, speech. yes. Okay.
0: Anyway, <laughs> let's get us back to the topic. So each of us is going to go through two different books or series that we enjoyed or that made an impression of us. And I'm going to start us off with The Dark is Rising sequence by Susan Cooper, which I discovered in primary school. I think I was probably around 10 when I first read it, which is the ideal time to read this particular series. It's a very classic English fantasy in that there is the light, capital L, and the dark, (laughs) capital D. And these two have been in an eternal struggle to and fro behind the scenes across the history of the world. It's set... In our world, it's not set in a secondary world. And it is threatened when the dark tries to rise once and for all, and so must be put down once and for all, by a group of magical and non-magical people, and some various magical MacGuffin objects, and some prophecies in poetry. So very (laughs) fantasy with a capital F. Yes. Uh, It also has a very strong Arthurian narrative underlying it. So the MacGuffins are a grail, a harp, and a sword. Uh, There's a reborn Pendragon. There's a wise Merlin figure. There's a lot Mm. of stuff to do with Welsh mythology and Celtic mythology underlying it. I won't go through the entire series, but the first two books are probably worth mentioning. So Oversea Understone is a very straightforward normal kids drawn into a magical quest about a family of kids who go on holiday in Cornwall and get wrapped up in some magical goings-on and they have to try and find the first of the objects which is the grail. The Dark is Rising, which is the second book, is the one that I think most people know. It was made terribly into a movie some time ago. It's the one that i reread the most often. And it's an entire chosen one comes into his own narrative, crammed into two weeks in a single village in Buckinghamshire, when a boy called Will Stanton turns 11, discovers he is a magical guardian of the light and has to gather some (laughs) objects to make a magical weapon. It is very magical. It's got some quite dark themes. Very, reading it as a kid's book is a bit odd from a modern perspective because it's got very sort of long words, long sentences. Mm -hmm. It does not give a fuck about the learning magic part of being a chosen one. They're just like, here's a magical book. You're going to read it in one night. Time, wibble wobble. Oh, now you know all the magic. Great. Moving on with the plot. (laughs) Like, it's very much like I know Kung Fu, you know, downloaded into your brain thing. And it makes no apologies for that because it's not interested in learning magic. It's more interested in the grander Great. plot, and what you do with the magic when you have it. Mm-hmm. And from there, the, the, the last three books, Greenwich is set in Cornwall, again, and is unfortunately the only book in the series to mm. even try and care about women, really. Uh, the Grey King really digs more into the Arthurian stuff and is set in Wales, and Silver on the Tree is the plot culmination, final battle, um, and gets a bit more Arthurian again. Have you guys read these books?
2: I have, but I've read them once, I want to say. I didn't get... They didn't get their hooks into me for, like, a rereadable. But I do remember a lot of, like sort of very like trapped in a house with the dark coming all around you and it's hopeless mm, and you have the, to rise writing, up and find your inner strength.
0: The writing is incredibly atmospheric. There's these wonderful yes. senses of place, these you know these um, sea villages in Cornwall, the, the mountains mm. of Wales, like the landscape description sort of goes on and on and on a bit. But it's wonderful because you get this incredible vivid sense of where someone is. And there's, a, there's also a lot of descriptions of just feeling that something is wrong. So you kind of know the dark by instinct yes. and some of the writing mm. in it sort of borders on horror in that sense and is very, very effective. They're wonderful books. I would highly recommend and them. I think
2: it kind of sat in my head as like something along the same lines as like Narnia. It felt like mm. it was in the same vein as C.S. Lewis. Yeah. Um, but doing something that's much more in our world and of our yeah, world. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And I think it has a lot in common with the Narnia books, especially in terms of the you know group of normal children versus children who are destined for something else. I mean these books kind of Mm. make a distinction between there are normal non-magical people and then there are the old ones of which Will is one who are not quite human and they have like destined. You're born, you don't earn or choose your status Um, whereas Mm. there's a little bit more choice involved for the people who become involved. There's also like, a lot of controversy around Meldenry is around the ending because the non-magical people essentially Mm. get their memories wiped of the entire events of the series, which Mm. I don't particularly like as an ending. Um, (laughs) Like, it's very clearly doing a thing, and it doesn't not fit. But I think to a modern reader, that sort Mm. of feels a little bit like a betrayal, especially because the non-magical kids are kind of your... entrance into this magical going on yeah. and the idea that they can have been important and instrumental and gone through something so huge and then not be allowed to remember it is kind of like yeah. the coming back to England of the Narnia books and robbing you of the, what's happened.
2: But it's also very Brigadoon, right? Um, and like the Fae village in the mists, um, you go and you you mm. lose all of this time, you come back and the world has changed around you and you kind of forget what had happened? Yeah, and it's
0: not being set up as a portal fantasy. Like it's very much grounded in the right. world, grounded in England, and like the Narnia books. Like these were written; they were published between the late sixties and the late seventies. The five books, um, so they weren't written at the same time as the Narnia books, but they have a very similar, unfortunate vein of English exceptionalism. Mm. So light. King Arthur is the ultimate symbol of the light and all of the oh, battles, of uh, the big battles and the important stuff happens here in the British Isles, even though they acknowledge that there are old ones all over the world doing their own things. very much here is the most magical place where all of the really important magical stuff happens, which is in contrast mm. to something like um, Diane Duan's Young Wizards books, where there is very much a sense that, yes, there are some important things being done by these young American wizards, but the sense of scope for the magic and who can be a wizard is so much bigger than this, which Mm. is very much like England, 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 English children.
2: Well, and let's talk then a little bit about the next series, if you don't mind, because I think all of us have probably read these ones, Yes, which is uh, one of my favourite series that I read as a kid was Philip Pullman's His Dark Materials which fun trivia the first book in the UK is called The Northern Lights Mm. not The Golden Compass it's called that here as
0: well um
2: yep I would imagine so um and one of the reasons that I adored these books was because of the main character, who is Lyra Belacqua, who is an awful demon child who is going to bite you <laughs> and is not going to hesitate <laughs> or feel guilty about it. And in Correct. fact, does bite adults on multiple occasions. And at one point blows up an entire scientific laboratory using flour. Honestly, goals. <laughs> like, Lyra is my favourite. She is the worst human being, and I would hate to, like, have to be her caretaker in any way. Oh, yes. Because I would come out of it with injuries. Right. Um, <laughs> but these books just, um, they aren't YA in the modern sense, but they gave this main character so much control and agency over her own adventure that it was something kind of new to me at the time there are all of these adults who think they know what's best for Lyra and who try to teach her and bring her one way and bring her another and give her tools. But ultimately they really think they know what she should be doing with those tools. Like they always think that they know what she should be doing with her compass, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and at the end of the day, the things that matter are what she chooses to do and what her counterpart Will chooses to do when he enters the series in the second book Um And so it's a series that kids have the responsibility to ask and answer some really deep moral questions, like is it morally right to close the one escape for the souls of the dead from hell, right? Right. Um, Like the very end of the series forces these two very much in love children to decide whether they will leave one portal open for the souls of the dead Or for each other to meet ever again. Mm -hmm. And they make the right choice. And it really does feel like you really felt how much it cost. I think there are multiple points in this series where you lose something. And Pullman made it feel so painful each time. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. real and honest. And real. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think the ending of the first book destroyed me like nothing else has because by that point i'd read enough books i must have been like 11 or 12 i read enough books that i kind of know how knew how the ending of books Mm. went yeah you were genre savvy by that point Yeah. yeah like you you go into the battle and you fight the battle and the baddie is defeated or you are defeated if it's in the beginning of a series you might be the one defeated but like you have the battle and then it's done and then there's like A nice easy chapter while everybody rests and gets their bandages and decides what to do next. And Pullman took that last chapter and murdered Lyra's best friend. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Her father murdered her best friend in order to open a portal between the worlds because it was the right thing to do. And it destroyed Lyra. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like, I don't think she ever got over that because this boy was only mixed up and it's because of her in the first place um and yeah it was just such a powerful series and i think that that's really widely recognized like it's been made into tv shows it's been made into a terrible movie uh yeah have you seen the new tv show yet i've seen a couple of episodes it didn't it wasn't really landing for me um but I will go back to it at some
1: point. Yeah. I haven't seen any of the, the new one, but I have seen a lot of people be enthusiastic about it. Mm, so I've seen the first
0: list. episode. I think what Macy and I really need is for somebody to make a really good Ruth Wilson as Mrs. Coulter fan video that we can just watch over and over again yes. because we love Ruth Wilson so much. <laughs>
2: yeah, Ruth Wilson <laughs> is amazing. And that's the other thing is that the bad guy of this series was a female scientist who probably would not have been nearly as screwed up if she'd just been allowed to be a fucking scientist.
0: Mm. Mm-hmm. And I think this okay, sort of stands out among some of the ones that we've chosen, but also doing a thing that a lot of books do in general that is still quite prominent, I think, in modern day. YA, less in middle grade, which is your parents are the villains. Mm-hmm. And, you know, what you have to do in order to fix the plot or save the world or come of age is symbolically defeat your parents, which has its whole, you know, psychology stuff in it. And I think the, the best <laughs> books that are written for kids are the ones that acknowledge that adults can be quite malevolent and, like, mm. I think something that the, the, the Dark Darkest Rising series and Diana Wynne-Jones you think about her books do really Mm. well is how uneasy and malevolent children being gaslit by adults is and how it feels Mm -hmm. to be a child where an adult is leaning hard onto their power and all of the weight of the distance between you in order to try and undermine your own thoughts and emotions. And the good thing about his Dark Materials is that it shows children resisting that
2: Well Lyra never met anything she didn't resist but um, I think that Lyra's particularly gotten the short end of the stick here because both of her parents are in her life but neither one of them tells her the truth about being like about how they are her parent Mm. right. Mm -hmm. Um, And there's just this really weird situation where like her father's like oh yeah next time you'll definitely get to come along with me and Mrs. Coulter like lies about being her mother (laughs) Because she's her mother and doesn't tell her, and nobody tells her. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. And it's just fucked up, yo.
1: It's weird and fucked up. Yeah. And it just does such a great job of like showing the cost of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like physical and emotional and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then
2: there are like such the weird dust stuff and the elephants that ride on bicycles with the. the oh, witches. yeah. It goes like witches weird fucked up birds. Gulliver's
0: Travels in some of those yeah. books
2: yeah and then they go on like an orpheus adventure to the underworld and i'm just like how did you fit this they're not massive books they're like reasonably big kids books yeah how? i can't
0: remember a lot of what happens in books two and three because it has been a long time since i've read them but i i do remember the weird ass elephant thing
2: <laughs> they have diamond spines
1: Ah. <sighs> yes and wheels, and wheels. <laughs> I, I think we've discussed the weird-ass
2: elephant thing on this podcast i love before, the weird-ass actually. elephants yes, i love you do. them so <laughs>
1: i know we, we know
2: uh, <laughs> alex also all of us want to have a demon. Yeah.
0: oh yeah that is the lasting That's cultural true. That's impact of these books
1: god exactly what i was going to say yeah absolutely so good who doesn't love a demon au no one it's illegal to yeah. not love a yeah. demon au yes yep.
2: just to remind our darling listeners before we move on to the next one freya's demon is two snakes fucking a stick yes <sighs> alex continue uh, thank you i will uh, <laughs> thank you for that very no important no, me. <laughs> yes
1: <clears throat> that is the only piece of fan art that we have ever received on this podcast yeah. because someone drew a picture of freya's demon <laughs> It was a very
2: elegant version. It was. Version I of appreciated of it. Beautiful. it It deeply. was a beautiful piece of fan art. Two snakes yeah. and then mammoth laid.
1: Yes, God. Okay, <laughs> well, we're moving on. Um, so the series that I have picked, darling listeners, is The Circle of Magic by Tamara Pierce. Um, fucking love I, Tamara Pierce. I fucking love Tamara Pierce. Uh, I think... I, I missed the Kelladry books somehow, but I was absolutely obsessed with Circle of Magic. Yeah, I don't know. Um, sometimes things just fall through the cracks. You know, That's you're, bad. There's a lot, lot of books. You, there's a lot of books, and you're 11, and you're busy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, you're on so, a boat. And and you're on a... Well, okay, by that time, I was no longer on a boat. I, <laughs> I moved off the boat when I was 10. Uh, and I picked these books up, yeah, roughly when I was 11. Uh, I read the first book sandry's book mm-hmm. um on a road trip that i was on with my parents um we drove up to canada from florida uh for like some genealogy research trip thing that my parents were doing um and so we were we were in canada and i finished reading this book which is about a i should probably tell you what what it's about Um, uh, it's about these four youngsters shall we say Yoops. These four youths, these four children, uh, who have (laughs) magical powers, who get found by this um, guy who's extremely good at finding... um, children with magical talent and they're taken to a place where they can learn and sort of cultivate their magic um and then they all sort of discover very quickly that the four of them don't really fit in so they go to an even more specialized part of the school this tiny little cottage which is owned by two lesbians
2: um where- rose <laughs> larkspur
1: and and Ro- is it rosemary i just reread it today and i already don't remember her name rose thorn, yes R- larkspur and rose thorn yes. okay there you go yes um I was like, it's a rose something. Uh, and so that they can have like really sort of specialized individual attention and get their particular individual sort of magic um, guided. Because most people can just put some runes on the ground and like draw a circle and say the words and get the result. Um, but their magic comes more from things and doing things or making things. Um, and it's more connected to like the physical world mm-hmm. in that way. Um, I just reread the first book today, All in one Sitting, and I was delighted to discover that absolutely fuck all happens in it. <laughs> yep. uh, and I was actually really, really surprised and and impressed by this because I was interested the whole way through because uh, Tamara Pierce is doing some really, really wonderful character work. Um, in showing the like there's one plot event like this the kids get picked up by this mage guy they learn some magic they save each other from a an earthquake that's it <laughs> that's everything that happens in this book other than the wonderful character work that's going on um, between all the kids themselves showing like the way that they develop their friendship and um, how all three of them have very thorny personalities and one of them is very anxious and um, there's sort of like build this this found family together um but also with the adults around them Mm -hmm. um like we with both of the books that we talked about for for you guys there's definitely like that um sort of divide between like the adults and the children right um but in circle of magic like the community is also inclusive of the adults like there's these intergenerational friendships these mentor relationships this whole support structure Mm um where like, you can solve, you can be a kid and solve your problems yourself, but also sometimes you just need to, like, go and ask a grown-up for advice. And the grown-ups who are around you are mostly kind and helpful and supportive and want to, like, help you grow and become a better person, which I think is very refreshing. Um, And I like all of the characters in this book. So, yeah. Uh, as I recall in the books that come after it, there are more actual plot things happen. Um, one of my favourite ones is Briar's book, which has a magical plague. Um, and as I recall, there's quite a bit of plot proper in that one.
2: I feel like there was one with a pirate ship as well when they had to thwart. But yes, mm-hmm. yes, that was Triss's book. Yes. Was the I, I can be of
0: no yeah. use in this discussion because speaking of things that slipped through the cracks, the entire over <laughs> often more appears. Yes.
2: Is... Oh, no, no, that's not true.
0: Not entirely. I did read the Alana books.
2: Mm. We should talk about the Alana Tortle books a little bit as well, because
0: because those girl with sword
2: were a whole thing. they were a whole yes. thing.
0: I was yep. obsessed with those. I think I vividly oh, yes. remember. I think it was my year seven English class. We were reading. Um, I, can't, I think it was doing something about fantasy, and uh, you, we had or like you had to come in and give a speech in character as the main character of the book you were currently reading. <laughs> And I and I was like, mm-hmm. hell yes. And came in with <laughs> as Alana with my brother's like fake plastic knight <laughs> sword and was like, Yeah, I'm gonna be a knight. ra oh, that was like some of the adorable. most fun I ever had in English class. It
2: was great. That's amazing. That's adorable. Alana is extremely relatable and also like was one of the first books that like followed a girl. From being, like, 10 through 18 and, like, getting her period and having Mm. sex for the first time and breaking up with a boy and, like, while being a knight. Yeah, I just feel like Tamara Pierce, like, just
1: always does a great job of letting people be, like, really human and complex Mm. in Mm -hmm. that way. Yeah, Mm -hmm. and she's fantastic. And also these books were why I picked up like fiber arts and why I got to be more of like a fiber arts person because one of my favorite characters from it does, like she has fiber arts magic. And so I I finished reading this, this first book and uh, even though we were on this long road trip, I was like, we need to go find a fiber arts store right now so that I can learn how to spin yarn. <laughs> and my parents for some reason indulged this, who knows why. Well, I mean, as
0: hobbies that a small child can pick up, Spinning yarn is one that is relatively harmless and quiet, and will just yeah. keep you trapped quietly in a small room for a long time.
2: Very true. <laughs> I very feel true. like th- you could end up either stabbing your younger sibling with the spindle, or like getting frustrated with it.
0: Yeah. yeah, but look, it is like yeah. the most fairy tale protagonist hobby you
1: could possibly have. Also, that's, that's, <laughs> oh, that's very true. Thank you. Hair That or playing the harp. <laughs> mm. I once sat next to a harp, and <laughs> someone walking past was like, wow, you really look like you should be playing that harp. And I was like, oh my god, thank you
2: so much. Yeah. I think
0: like big bodic energy is what we're going to call that.
2: Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Shweta may- let me play her harp briefly once, and it was lovely. It was great fun. I'm like, this is mm. a string instrument I approve of.
1: Yeah. This yeah. is
2: acceptable. I'm allergic to string instruments. <laughs> um, why? they just my brain doesn't work right mm. with like frets mm. like frets really freak me out that makes sense um i don't know hmm. why but freya you are going to tell us about some more i books. am
0: and i had when i planned this i was thinking right i'm going to talk about these two books because they definitely go together <laughs> and then i was reflecting on them and thought actually they don't really they're just sort of by the same person so i think i'm going to talk mostly about one book by the writer elizabeth mm-hmm. Googe who, again, was writing in, I think, about the 1960s. Uh, This book is called The Little White Horse, and I read this obsessively over and over as as a child. Uh, It is set in 1842, and it's about a 13-year-old girl with the incredible protagonist name of Maria Merriweather. Uh, (laughs) Wonderful. Yes, who I'm fairly sure is an orphan and is sent to live with her mysterious uh, but benevolent uncle in a large manor house. So it's kind of a gothic in that it's about a girl coming to a house and there being mysterious things going on. But it's also proto-YA in that it's Mm. a sole protagonist with an ensemble cast around her rather than being about a group of siblings, which is what the other Elizabeth Mm. Gooch book I was thinking of talking about, which is called Lynettes and Valerians, is much more in the... Uh, Dark is Rising kind of model of siblings doing stuff together. But Little White Horse is about this girl coming to um, the manor. She starts untangling the mysteries of her family and the families of the town. Um, the small village like it's got this really small village vibe to it. There's so much description of food like Red Wall Level's food <laughs> description. So much oh description of her clothes. It's like it's like this, this book knows what 13 year old <laughs> girls want to read about. Here it is. <laughs> um,
2: With their horse, oh,
0: yeah, and there's like a magical horse. Like it's, it, it's the ultimate, <laughs> you know, girl fantasy yeah, yeah. novel, and I adored it. I will say, thinking about it in retrospect, it is also Alex one of the most Hiros Gamos texts yeah. I have ever read, because Wonderful. the whole point of it is it's about something has gone wrong in her family, like the, her uncle mm. and things like that, um, and so the place is now. Twisted somehow. Like it has these dark yes. pockets, it has these relationships that are dissolved. And basically the the legend of the manor is that the Merriweather family their everything will go right as long as the relationship between the Merriweather heir and their partner is good. And so that's everything went literally, wrong. Because, that's yeah, it's literally here it's I was wrong lost. everything yeah. went wrong because her uncle quarrelled with the woman he was in love with and she left. And now everything is yeah. falling apart. And Text so Maria's, yeah, Maria's <laughs> <laughs> entire quest is essentially a getting them back together quest in yeah. order to <laughs> fix the magic, and, which <laughs> is great, but also a bit weird in that, like, she also has a love story that goes on with a boy who's technically he was her imaginary friend in London. And then he just <laughs> shows up here and they don't explain it <laughs> at all. They're just like, oh, look, he's real <laughs> and you're in love. And she's like, okay. <laughs> no explanation. I love it, it's great but there's all this pressure on them that because she's the yeah. Meriwether heir like, you know, they, 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 they're kids they're, they're like 13, 14 and every time they argue, the adults are like oh my god, no, you can't argue you have to be like kind and patient with one another because if you argue, all this shit will go wrong which is a lot of pressure <laughs> to put on a pair of 14 year olds yeah. who are thinking they were going to get married yeah Wow. (laughs) But it definitely... That is a book that knows what it Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's like (laughs) drinking a very large cup of hot chocolate. But it does have a lot of things to do with self and responsibility and place, which is Mm -hmm. obviously what I tend to explore in my books and my writing.
2: You love a magical house. I love a
0: magical house. And I love this interrelationship between the responsibilities of the individual and how that is reflected by what is going on Mm -hmm. in the house and in the land. And again, Mm -hmm. in a very Mm -hmm. English Lord of the Manor, you know, you have a responsibility to the people of your village kind of way. Uh, This does explore some of those themes in a really fun way. So that is my secondary one to talk about. This is, Just talking yeah. about it now, I'm like, I'm gonna go away and reread it immediately this afternoon. It's <laughs> <so>
2: <laughs> good. This podcast is so fucking bad. I, it's, a, it's very unhealthy. It's a very unhealthy it's very for unhealthy. us and for We read so many and for our us. darling listeners, I think. And for our listeners. Darling listeners, go read about a horse. <laughs> It's
0: like a magical horse that may or may not be a unicorn and may or may not be a like a metaphor. It's so
1: good. That's wonderful. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Macy tell tell us
2: about why my cat is named what my cat the is horse named. Is now Diamonds. Um yes. So Macy is now going to talk about another set of books that I really loved as a kid and this is the Abhorsen yes. trilogy by Garth Nix which I did not know was Australian. He's Australian? Mm-hmm. It's I Australian. I just found this it was out. <laughs> it's pu- it was published in 1995 in Australia oh. and 2002 in oh, England. Oh, wow. So, like, it must have been, like, picked up really I don't know how it got picked up in the UK late I was like reading the front page of like when was yeah. this published why was this published seven years well, look
0: Australian huh. publishing especially Australian fantasy publishing is just a chaos vortex and nobody understands yeah. how it works I don't know how I unha- don't that know how it works in the fair. 90s but there you go
2: but the Abholson trilogy is a set of books about a necromancer mm. um except that she's a good necromancer
1: We've discussed an untamed abhorsen crossover in the group chat haven't Have we? we? I think so. Yes, I remember with there the bells. being talk.
2: I feel yes, yes, like Yes. Okay, I just thought so about it again. Of- Go ahead. Darling listeners, darling listeners, the thing about the abhorsen trilogy is that it has the most glorious magic system, mm-hmm. like I adore it. Um, the abhorsen is kind of a role? Yes. Right? It's a yeah. title. Um, And there are two main types of magic in this world. There are others, but mostly there are two. One is charter magic, which is runes. Um, And so there's a big charter that's written down that dictates the name of everything and what you can do with these symbols to make normal magic that normal mages in the world use. Like you can write this down and you'll get a light. It's learnable. And then it's learnable. And then there are the necromancers. And the necromancers use a set of seven bells and step into the River of Death, which has seven levels, and you get between them by the gates at the various levels, and it gets progressively more dangerous and harder to come back from death the further down you go. And when you're in the River of Death, you can do things like summoning spirits or binding spirits into bodies and commanding them to obey you in the real world. Uh, And in order to protect... The people of this nation, which is a little bit like the Game of Thrones, like North of the Wall mm-hmm. thing. It's Got a bit of that going on. Um, in order to protect the everyday people from like the dead, there is one good necromancer who uses both charter magic and necromancy, which is the title, the Abhorsen. Um and like a hundred years ago somebody killed all of the kings and everything went bad in the kingdom, and now our protagonist, our young plucky heroine, um, is summoned across the wall to figure out why her father is dead or is he and also solve the problem of the fact there are no kings anymore. And she ends
0: up falling for I feel like in a series about necromancy, someone being dead is only ever gonna be a temporary question mark state.
2: Yeah. Yeah, except that, like, full resurrection isn't really a thing in this. Mm. But, like, across the set, the thing about this series um, that I loved the most, though, was actually the second book. The Disreputable Dog? No, I just loved Lirael. Oh, yeah, she was also great. So the second book takes place, like, 20 years after the first one. And you start in this mysterious glacier nunnery Mm -hmm. full of, like library witches basically. macy's already into it <laughs> i'm so into it like everything is ice and there's just these weird gadgety things everywhere yeah. and the main character is just this young book nerd who's like fuck dealing with boys i want to learn more and read books that i'm not meant to read mm-hmm. which is relatable it's a mood. i'm sorry yeah, yeah. no it's a mood but alex's point is good as well which is there are some great familiars in this series mm-hmm. Because Liriel gets the disreputable dog and Sabriel gets, sorry, yes, Sabriel gets the cat, Mogget. Mugget, yes. And then Mogget kind of, Mogget kind of gets Mogget's self. Mogget gets
1: Mogget's self, yes. And my cat is named Mogget, um, which was probably a bad idea because I really believe in the the superstition that the name that you give your cat kind of shapes what their personality is like. And so when I got my cat, I was very, very close to naming my cat after a fictional con artist that I was fond of at the time. Um, and then I was like, no, I know it's a better idea. Let's name her after a terrifying murder
2: monster.
1: Yay! Yeah, because
2: the thing is that Moggett is like... A- captured spirit yeah. of evil from beyond like the chaos void yes yes <laughs> who has been leashed by the abhorses <laughs> that's wonderful <Like> it, so <laughs> it's been,
0: i think i've read the first two books in primary school and have mm. not read the th- mm-hmm. i never read the third and it's been such a long time but what that description that you were saying about the the levels of the river of death have you read mm-hmm. harrow the ninth yet macy
2: i have not no alex you will you enjoy
0: there is a like, that that's yes. sort of sounding thematically like some a lot of the magic in Harrow. Absolutely, yes. Yeah, and so and what you were saying about the Liriel as well also is striking off thoughts about the unspoken name. So I think there are some fairly clear mm. influences on the fantasy being written at the moment.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, I think that a lot of the books we're talking about here, when we're sitting here and talking about His Dark Materials and Tamora Pierce and Diana Wynne-Jones and Garth Nix, um these are the stuff that our generation of writers grew up with yes yes a lot of them like we are millennial trash babies um and these are the ones that we were reading when we got done with harry potter
1: yep or preceding harry Um, potter or preceding harry potter or preceding preceding sort of simultaneous with harry potter yeah
2: yeah in and around the same time i mean i was reading abhorsen around 2002 when it was coming out um Hmm and probably dark materials earlier than that yeah it's true I think yeah it doesn't surprise me that our generation of writers who are coming out and debuting now are drawing quite heavily from a lot of these texts Mm -hmm. oh yeah absolutely because they're they're really really formative and
1: like Mm -hmm. so many of them have these really strong images that so it's really not a surprise to me that these kind of images would stick so strongly and, and vividly in our minds
2: like, did either of you two read um, William Nichols' uh, The Windsinger trilogy? You know, that
1: sounds so familiar, man. Those were
2: another one that kind of stuck in my head. Um, but that kind of like trilogy of adventure, yeah. Because none of these, they're all the protagonists are all of an age that would get called YA nowadays, but none of them use YA tropes and genres, right? No, uh, they're this kind of like kids' adventure arc. Yeah, thing. and I
0: remember going directly from things like His Dark Materials to woomph, David Eddings. Like there wasn't yes. really, oh yeah, like YA existed as a genre, but especially in a Aust- especially in Australia, it existed only as Australian contemporary. Like there was huh. quite a lot of YA being written, like books yeah, that are about fair. and aimed at Australian teenagers. And that was what was on the YA shelf in my library. Mm. Hmm. For me, fantasy and YA just didn't go together at all because fantasy YA had not quite become a thing yet, which is strange to think about tr- how big it is now.
2: Yeah, right. When I try to think about genre YA when I was growing up, the one book that comes to my mind is Ender's Game.
1: I actually love that Which is, that again, book. not
2: quite YA.
1: No it's not quite YA even though it has like a very much YA
2: protagonist and it, ha- it has some of like the proto-trappings. It's a bit more YA than these ones. Okay? Yes yes agree. Mm. Agree. But I've I've cut off our last set of Ooh, books yes. because Alex had one to talk about Alex, right? Go.
1: So the last book that uh, we're going to talk about today uh, is I have kind of mixed feelings about. Um, it's a series called The Lost Years of Merlin by T.A. Barron and I read this when I was about 13, 14 or so. And I remember absolutely loving it at the time. Um, It's Mm -hmm. about this boy who loses all of his memories. And so he's growing up with this woman who's like older than him, but not like an old woman. And like he thinks that she's the most beautiful woman in the whole world. And like it's heavily implied that she's his mother. But he's like, I have no memory of you. And she never tells him who the fuck she is. (laughs) You what the fuck, yeah. Um, and some stuff happens and he saves her from a fire and in the process he goes blind but then he uses magic sort of second sight so that he can get around and she gives him this magical pendant and says, go find your destiny. And he gets on like a raft and goes out to sea and gets washed up on this fant- the shore of this fantasy land. This is wild. Yeah, it's wild. <laughs> it's a lot. Um, and he immediately meets this like dryad girl who lives in a tree like she's not the spirit As of the dryads tree do. no 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 like she's she's a human girl but she like lives in a tree <laughs> you know <laughs> okay. and and like they go on some magical adventures and they fight some stuff and like there's a giant who's not actually giant sized and he has to, there's stuff happens okay so the thing that i remember most about this book is absolutely fucking loving it when i was like 13 or 14 and Then I, like, loved it enough to bring the books with me to college, even though I hadn't reread them in a long time. Why am I like this? I couldn't tell you. Um, And I got my first, like, boyfriend, my first proper boyfriend, and uh, I was like, I loved these books. You should read these books. And we started reading them aloud together. And I was like, these are worse than I remember them being. I'm so sorry about this. Um, And partially it was just the the language and the prose was not striking me as vividly as it once had. Partially it was the characters who are now sort of, falling flat and being unrelatable and I didn't like them as much anymore and the plot seemed really contrived and too many tropes and like Freya (laughs) said, there was just a lot going on. (laughs) But at the time when you read it
0: the first time, was it doing something that was fresh to you? Yes, I think. So obviously in the intervening time, you just read so many versions of these tropes and this narrative, but at the time when you discovered it.
2: Right, right. I was like, oh my god, wow. Wow. This is one of the things I was talking about with, I think it was with Marissa earlier, which is it's not that kids have bad taste in books. It's that kids have read fewer books. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. You just haven't developed anything to compare it to yet right Mm. and which is why many people love Aragon
1: yeah exactly and so at the end of the first book when it turns out that this like teenage boy is actually Merlin right I was like holy shit mind blown and in hindsight you're like it's called the lost years of Merlin like (laughs) (laughs) well done well well done baby Alex I nearly got you you that time almost Um, a spit take So yeah, have you guys, like, I think that this was probably my most vivid experience of the Suck Fairy visiting a book, which is like, you remember a book being very good and sometime in the intervening years, the Suck Fairy comes and visits it and makes it bad and changes the book that you read. Have you guys ever had that happen to you?
2: I think that I have spoken on this podcast a little bit in the past about how much of an Anne McCaffrey Mm -hmm, mm stan I was. Also me. And like... I've read every single book she's written, and that's like a lot of books—like not just the Pern ones, yeah. like, all of them. And I read and loved her magical unicorn space princess books. Oh, really? That's a deeper dive. Yeah, <gasps> I remember those ones. A corner, a corner, and then like the twelve sequels. <laughs> I think I tried I to read the Crystal, Crystal, Crystal Singer and couldn't one. Get into it. The Crystal Singer was amazing. I think I've I not thought, reread I
0: thought, it. On in reflecting back, I think the reason the Crystal Singer, the first one, Killer Shandra stuck with me yes. and why I reread it is because it's a romance yeah. novel. And I didn't yes. realize it was a romance novel. I was just like, oh. wow, I am for some reason completely into this <laughs> one science fiction book.
2: So many of her stuff like the Rowan was and like so many of them were. But like if you look at some of the stuff that's happening in Pern, like there's just so much sexism mm-hmm. and there's like a lot of rape built into the culture. Yep. And just a lot of assumptions that are kind of yeah. unexamined yeah. in those books. And that makes them really hard to read nowadays. Yes. Mm-hmm. Like, I still think that like Menoli's books, like the dragon song book is a very solid young book because it mostly just deals with an abused kid runs away and rescues herself mm-hmm. from abuse. Um But like you look at the lesser books, like Dragonflight, uh, and that's just kind of horrific. Mm. Like a woman is taken from like drudge slavery and forced to have sex with her rescuer, and then falls in love with him.
0: Yeah. Very briefly, my greatest suck fairy visit has been on David Eddings, which Mm. I think I I still think about the book, the David Eddings fantasy series, with great fondness because, as I said, they were the one thing that I read Mm -hmm. first. Right. When I made that leap from kids' books to adult books in the fantasy right. realm. And so it didn't matter to me that all the stories were the same and that it was this absolutely classic farm boy prophecy mm-hmm. Dark Lord arc because it was the first time right, I'd right, read right, it. Right, 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 right. And so I tore through like the two five book series about whatever his name, yep. Belgarian. Belgarath. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I yeah, tore right. through the prequels, and then I tore through the two Elenium um, Tamalaya trilogies because oh, it was the first time that i had that particular story right. given to me and when i go back to it now i find the prose almost unreadable mm. um mm. and the heteronormativity to be suffocating
2: yeah. yeah god yes
0: but they meant a lot to me because they
2: were the thing that got me into reading high yep. fantasy and the entire fucking arc of Polgara this immortal powerful sorceress just following around this lineage playing nursemaid to a bunch of boys but eternity mm. sounds like fucking mm-hmm. hell. But these,
0: I, I kept reading the the Polgar standalone prequel long after yep. I stopped reading the mm. the other books because I was like, mm-hmm. oh, a book about a woman, uh, incredible, yes.
2: <laughs> yes. And of course, we also had coming out recently the fact that both David and Lee Eddings are convicted uh, child abusers. <sighs> oh dear,
0: complete other level of yeah. fairy.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, who spent a year in jail. Mm. For it, anyway so more cheerfully
0: <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about current kids books yes some more modern kids books and we have to preface this by saying none of us read a lot in this sphere because right. we don't write a
2: mm-hmm. lot in
0: this sphere i know there are some amazing ya and amazing middle grade especially being done mm. at the moment and we don't know a lot about it but we can mention a couple what would you like yes. to mention macy
2: I want to talk about the first time I met my agent sibling in person, Emily Tesh. I love Emily. Which was when we went to... Emily's great. Emily's I like great. Emily. She has a really great book about gay tree boys. And a sequel in the world. And a sequel called Drowned and Country. A coming up. Yeah. Yes. But we were in the London Forbidden Planet, which is a science fiction and fantasy bookshop. And it's amazing. It's just a basement full of nerd shit. It's a very good bookshop. And she vanishes for about 30 seconds and I'm like where did my friend where did the person I meant to be hanging out with go and she sort of reappears clutching a book and very solemnly thrusts into my hand I think it was Cuckoo Song by Mm -hmm. Frances Harding and she says Macy you have to buy this and she was right Cuckoo Song is a changeling story in like a historical industrial revolution England except not quite England and it's absolutely gorgeous it's about siblings and sisters and feelings and Frances Harding is a genius
0: Mm. Mm. she's just so good all of her books are absolutely incredible oh my
2: god I was gonna say
0: I was trying to think of what I can compare her to and now I am thinking about a whole book series that I really should have done for this episode which is the um Joan Aiken Blackhearts in Battersea series you I don't oh know oh speaking of like weird historical fantasy historical <laughs> fantasy anyway an- another time but I think Frances Harding is doing a lot of the things that Diana Wynne Jones was doing but mm. darker
2: yes qu- quite a bit darker often and one of her books is on the um, YA slate for the Hugo's this year oh which one uh, I, the, whatever what was right. out last
0: year <laughs> oh the one that I haven't read yet Deep Light. Presumably, yes. That would be why it didn't ping for me because that's the one that's sitting on my shelf that I have not read. I've only got a few ah. Frances Hardings that I haven't read, and I'm saving them like the few Diana Wynne Joneses that I haven't read to dole them out slowly.
2: <laughs> mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Mm, I absolutely, I agree. I think she, she's amazing, and I wanted what to else? Shout, What
2: else is coming up? Yes.
0: Well, I wanted to shout out Rick Riordan because mm. I have not actually read any of Rick Riordan's books. But I know that his series of middle grades, starting with the Percy Jackson series, are considered to Mm. be very popular, very good, based in Greek mythology. And Rick Riordan is now doing something called Rick Riordan Presents, which was his effort, which I think was an amazing thing. And he described it as people kept asking him whether he was going to do books based in mythologies other than Greek mythology. Mm. And he said, look, I now have a platform I have some clout, I have some money, how about I go out and support people from underrepresented cultures to write yes. middle grade books about their own mythologies and mm-hmm, cultures. Mm-hmm. Honestly, and so props Rick to
1: Rick Riordan, it's... like, like gold star Rick Riordan, you did it, mm. good job.
0: <laughs> so, the, so the Rick Riordan Presents series is by lots of different authors, and based in a lot of different cultures and mythologies, and are usually middle grade adventure Mm -hmm. stories, and I've heard really good things about them. Again, I have not read them because I don't read middle grade, but I know that that is something that is quite prominent in the middle grade landscape at the moment and worth talking about, especially considering how Western and, especially in my case, old fashioned English exceptionalism all of my nostalgia books are. (laughs) It is worth shouting out that there are people in modern day YA making a real effort to increase the diversity and representation in that sphere.
2: Yes. And I think it's also just making sure that that doesn't um, fall by the wayside, right? Yeah. Uh, making sure that those are the ones that the nostalgia books for the authors coming up 20 years from now. Yeah. Yep.
1: This was so much fun. I don't think we have anything else. To- I mean, obviously we have more things to say we so could many. go on for another like hour, two hours four hours should we keep yep. having a yep. podcast guys i'm no. having fun <laughs> go
2: listen da- darling listeners tell us in twitter tumblr or pigeon any of your favorite nostalgia books from when yes. you were small what got you into fantasy and if anyone has actually
0: read the Joan Aiken books come yes. and yell with me on twitter because these ones are a little obscure but i love them to yes, death indeed. yes indeed and in
1: All the right. meantime dear listeners we hope you're staying well and staying safe have a good night night, night. good night
0: Hello everybody, thanks for joining us for this episode of Be The Serpent, a podcast of extremely, extremely deep literary merit. This is definitely a time when a lot of people are doing a lot of rereading and diving back into our childhood comfort reads and founts of nostalgia definitely has a lot of appeal, as long as you can avoid the suck fairy. On the other hand, this is the first time I've tried to take a real, analytical look at the fantasy books that surrounded me and shaped me as a kid and seeing the rich soil of some of my influences is great, but it's also exposed a serious lack of diversity that I only really started to rectify in my mid to late teens. So I think maybe I should look into reading more and more modern middle grade books, if only to go back and feed my inner child something that isn't just white British kids save the day. For the next episode, two weeks hence on June 17th, we're going to be doing our now traditional review of the 2019 Hugo Award Novel Slate. We do not expect you to read all six books. We're not even trying to do that ourselves as individual serpents. But as a refresher, the six nominees for Best Novel are The Ten Thousand Doors of January by Alex E. Harrow, Middle Game by Seanan McGuire, The City in the Middle of the Night by Charlie Jane Anders, Gideon the Ninth by Tamsyn Muir, A Memory Called Empire by Arkady Martine, and The Light Brigade by Cameron Hurley. Read one, read all, or read none, and just come listen to us wax spoilerific and enthusiastic about this fantastic and diverse slate. Questions? Comments? Breathless adulations? As ever, you can get in touch with us at serpentcast at gmail and we're at SerpentCast on Twitter and Tumblr. Or you can come and join the fan Discord community, which is linked on the About the Show page of the podcast website. If you do enjoy the podcast and would like to support us further, you can also find our Patreon at patreon.com slash serpentcast, or please consider leaving us a rating and review on iTunes so we can continue to find new listeners. And by the way, your inner child is an adorable gremlin, and they deserve a treat. Or two.